Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. In the market this week, bullish sentiment spreads around the world on the back of NVIDIA's blockbuster results announcement. Earnings are heading in the right direction and global house prices bounce back. Well, we're all familiar with the remarkable bull market in US technology stocks, the so-called Magnificent Seven. Those seven shares, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Nvidia, Tesla and Meta, are up 80% in the past year and they account for half of all the US stock market's gains. But what investors are just starting to notice is that this is not the only bullish story in the markets. Interesting things are happening in other markets around the world too. A good example of this is India, where the stock market continues to hit new highs. And unlike the US market's narrow leadership, this is a broad-based bull with gains across all sectors and across the size spectrum. In the US, it's all about tech and all about the very biggest companies. In India, large caps are doing well, but mid and small caps are rising even more. One of the arguments for India is that it's not China, which has been one of the world's worst performing markets in the past two or three years. Foreign investors are certainly seeing India as the new China, a rapidly growing emerging market, but with the benefit of a more predictable political backdrop. But the main driver of Indian shares is actually domestic money. Overseas investors used to own 60% of the Indian market, now it's just 40% as a homegrown investing culture takes off. As India's middle class grows, so too has the propensity to own shares, and companies are cashing in on that. The number of publicly listed companies in India has grown fivefold in recent years, a contrast to the shrinking markets in the US and even more so in the UK. Share prices have soared, 180 companies have trebled in value in the past 10 years, and they have a value of more than a billion dollars each. That's a broader base of big, successful listed companies even than in the US. The Indian market is still small, set against its US counterpart, $5 trillion versus $60 trillion, but it's on a roll. Valued as highly as Wall Street on around 20 times earnings, it's not cheap, but the force is with it. The other Asian market that's flourishing at the moment is Japan, which last week put 30 years of disappointment behind it as the Nikkei 225 index broke through the glass ceiling that's been in place since the Tokyo market peaked in 1989 at the height of the country's stock and property bubble. In the 34 years since then, Japanese shares have been underwater as the country has grappled with decades of sluggish growth, deflation and an ageing population. It's a completely different story today, a fact that was not lost on traders on Nomura's trading floor who broke into a standing ovation on Thursday last week as the main stock market index cleared its 1989 high water mark. The market might be back at its previous level, but in terms of valuation, things could not be more different. In 1989, Japan represented nearly 40% of the total market capitalization of global stocks. Today, it's under 10%, while the US now represents nearly 60 The ratio of share prices to earnings is in the mid-teens now, cheaper than the US, and far from excessive against a backdrop of rising earnings in a much more shareholder-friendly environment. 
Despite this, Japan is only just reappearing on foreign investors' radars. The number of fund managers overweight Japan is just 13%, according to Bank of America. And domestic investors, unlike in India, remain wary. They were traumatized by three decades of underperformance, and even though the launch of a new savings scheme modeled on our own ISA is encouraging new investment, it's still mostly going into US and global equity funds. So the foundations are in place for the Japanese bull market, which really got going 10 years ago with a raft of corporate reforms under former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe to keep going. There are doubts. There's something of a disconnect between the Nikkei's rally and the state of the Japanese economy. Like our own, it's in a shallow recession. And it's far from clear that the battle with deflation or poor demographics is quite won just yet. But as in India, momentum is on investors' side. A third market that's breaking new ground is in Europe. Here, the situation echoes the US experience, with a handful of companies driving the market to new highs. Last week saw European stocks hit a new record. The group of shares leading the charge has been dubbed the Granolas by Goldman Sachs. It's a slightly tortured acronym derived from the first letters of a pretty diverse group of businesses. Some healthcare with GSK, AstraZeneca, Sanofi, Novo Nordisk and Roche. Tech via chipmaker ASML and SAP. And consumer stocks such as L'Oreal and LVMH. But, like the Magnificent Seven, the Granolas have accounted for a large proportion of the market's recent gains. In the past 12 months, they've delivered half of the market's rise, and that seems to be justified by the power of these giant global companies. Goldman expects them to deliver pretty much all of the combined revenue growth of stock 600 constituent companies over the next few years. In terms of performance, the Granolas have underperformed the Mag 7 over the past year, but over a three-year view, they've kept pace, and they've done so with much less volatility. Like the MAG-7 too, they represent a giant share of the overall market. The 11 companies account for 25% of the value of European stocks as a whole. That's only just behind the 28% of the MAG-7. Whether this narrow leadership is a problem or just the shape of things to come is a moot point. Typically, when markets enter bubble territory, they do so on the back of a concentrated market. That was the case in the late 1990s and the early 1970s. But it's arguable that it simply reflects the growing influence of passive investing, which tends to funnel money into the biggest companies. Of course, that process can go into reverse. If markets turn the other way and investors withdraw their money, it will come first and foremost from the big stocks, that have been the beneficiaries on the way up. One of the biggest beneficiaries of those fund flows in the past year has, of course, been NVIDIA. And last week was an important one for the poster child of the AI revolution. With expectations so high for the chipmaker, last week's results announcement had the potential to derail the stock's remarkable rise, which has seen the company join the $2 trillion valuation club, rising sevenfold in the past three years or so in an uncanny echo of what happened to Cisco Systems 25 years ago during the dot-com bubble. That share price spike ended badly. In the two years after Cisco had risen sevenfold, it lost nearly 90% of its value as the dot-com bubble burst. But no one is talking that way about NVIDIA at the moment. It is seen as the major winner from the massive investment that AI is expected to trigger right across the global economy. 
Only time will tell whether it really is different this time. These are, after all, the four most dangerous words in investment. For now, NVIDIA looks untouchable, but its big rivals are not going to stand by idly while it capitalizes on AI. NVIDIA delivered a remarkable 265% jump in quarterly revenues in its fourth quarter and said even stronger sales growth was on the way. We've reached a tipping point, said its founder and chief executive Jensen Huang. Investors will hope he was not inadvertently referring to the share price. The thing about stock market bubbles is that they invariably spill over into other asset classes as well, as investors flush with gains from their portfolios seek out other places to make profits. So it's perhaps unsurprising that the widespread fall in house prices that accompanied the rising interest rates of the past couple of years appears to have reversed. Across 37 OECD countries, nominal house prices rose 2.1% in the third quarter of 2023, compared with the previous three months. Only a third of countries reported a quarter-on-quarter decline, down from more than half at the start of the year. With interest rates forecast to begin declining from the middle of the year, it now looks as if the housing correction may have run its course. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.